hello and welcome to the A to Z of tech. In this episode, we have taken a tiny liberty with the letters of the alphabet, but it's an excusable one since we'll be talking about a hugely interesting subject, 5G. I'm Hugo Warner and I'm here as usual with Louise Taggart. We are very pleased to be joined by Howard Jones, who's head of network communications at EE, and Kirilla Zikri, who is a senior manager in PwC strategy and technology, media and telecommunications practice. Howard and Kirillus, welcome. Thanks, Hugo. Thank you. It feels like we are at the peak of a hype curve. Everyone is talking about 5G. People are lodging loads of patents in anticipation of its arrival. And there's much talk about all kinds of risks. So let's first cut through a little bit of the noise and explain what it all means. So Howard, what, what actually is 5G? So 5G, simplest terms, is the next generation of mobile technology. We started in the 1980s with analog voice, um, hugely limited in its capability, but revolutionary all the same. What we have now is a, is, is a present day where people are getting gigabit per second speeds to a smartphone on the go. And that's a phenomenal capability and one that in fact, we as an industry don't quite know what to do with yet. Um, that's the beginning of a true revolutionary change yet again because of technology in the sense that what we have as a future is 5G has the capability to connect everything. 5G is a radio network today in 2019, but roll forward a few years, it becomes a system that joins together all forms of connectivity and it starts to present brand new opportunities. And I think, Hugo, you mentioned the hype curve. I think what we, what we have right now is the hype that belongs to 5G in three to four years time, but it's happening far too early, really, from a hype perspective. It's a great technology that's making a big difference already in terms of capacity and day-to-day -day customer experience of mobile. It's an awful long way from what it will be. So Kirillus, on a scale of one to 10, how excited do you think we should be about 5G? I'll probably say a five or a six, and <laughs> right. I'll explain that. So from a consumer perspective, 5G is going to be great, yes, and everything. It's more speeds, bigger data plans, more unlimited, that be on the speed or in the data consumption, etc. And it will allow you to watch you know, 4K videos and lots of interesting use cases, more higher adoption of, 4K, uh, of uh, VR and 4K, etc. However, you know, there is a strong view that 5G is more geared and going to be much more beneficial towards enterprises and businesses. But back to Howard's point that this is probably more of a three to five year time horizon where you start seeing the more interesting stuff like remote surgeries or, uh, you know, uh, real time robotics, all these sorts of things. Uh, so I would probably say it's very exciting. It's a 10 for the enterprise and the manufacturing world. It's probably more of a five or a six for the consumer side. So we should hold off on our excitement for three to five years and then get really excited. Yeah, I mean, I think let's look back to when uh, uh, when 4G launched in the UK. We, we were three to four years behind in a lot of other markets, the 50 something country in, in the world to get a to get a 4G network. Um, but the things that people did on a day to day to day basis have changed enormously in that seven, six and a half, seven year period, enormously. Yeah. The types of businesses that exist, uh, they, wouldn't, they simply would not exist in the same way today or at all without a near ubiquitous high-speed mobile network. Things like banking, travel, healthcare, all of those things have been in part revolutionized by mobile. If we look back and say everything's changed, there's no reason we shouldn't look forward and say everything will change again. And I would argue arguably at a greater rate, at a faster pace. So if we're looking at the implementation of 5G, 
what kind of new hardware or infrastructure does 5G need compared to 4G? So right now, the rollout of 5G is, whilst it's an extremely high-tech project, it's actually more about civil engineering. It's about concrete and steel. It's about rolling out hardware across the busiest parts of the busiest cities. Um, much more interesting than the hardware side of things, I think, is, is the software side of things. With 5G comes a future in which you, you, you seek to virtualize network components. And all that, that means really is that you, you seek to have standardized hardware on which you can apply rapidly and dynamically any new capability or service. And that's all about software. Software is, is going to become much more important than hardware as a result of 5G. And actually, that's a really interesting opportunity for the UK. We don't play in the hardware space as things stand, but we certainly do have an opportunity to build on some current software expertise that have come out of things like the gaming industry, for instance, where we're real global leaders. We could turn that into, our, into a real advantage for the UK as, 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 as software becomes more important to the telecom industry. And in terms of that rollout, you mentioned that 5G will start with the busiest parts of the busiest cities. What's the picture in terms of its long-term rollout to potentially the whole of the UK? I think ubiquity is the goal. Yeah. That, that is absolutely the goal. If you look at the applications of 5G, and let's take autonomous vehicles as one of the things that 5G will greatly enhance, for that you need ubiquity. And now that's not going to come quickly or cheaply, but um, that is absolutely the goal. So you're more optimistic about the eventual rollout of 5G too? untouched, uncovered rural areas? I think the business case will drive it. I think the Spectrum Holdings will support it. Um, I think it's an enormous amount of work. I think it requires changes in planning processes to make sure that it's achievable. Um, but ultimately, yes, I think, I think the opportunity is there, but not quickly. I agree, three to four years, we're not going to see ubiquitous 5G coverage. But I think that is the ultimate aim. Good. Interesting because it's, I guess, it's one of the concerns is that actually if you get this disparity in, in, uh, in the performance of the mobile network, actually that just exacerbates the, the, the differences between you know rural, underserved areas and and urban areas as well, particularly in a time when we're seeing much more migration towards cities. Absolutely, the digital divide uh, remains very real. It remains a concern. You talk about migration into cities. Um, Rural communities talk about that in a far more dramatic sense because for them, actually, they, they, are, they are losing businesses. They are losing businesses and they are losing um, uh, exciting young companies and people because there simply isn't the, the digital infrastructure to support their ambitions. That's a, that's a big problem for rural Britain. I think that's something that needs to be solved. It is being solved. There is an awful lot of investment going into um, high-speed 4G data networks to make sure people are, get, are getting connected, but more needs to be done. Kirillis, you were hinting earlier on at some of the exciting use cases that we've seen for 5G. I wonder if you might give us a flavor of some of the most interesting ones that you've come across. Yeah, sure. So uh, we actually went to Mobile World Congress in February. It was it's one of the biggest conferences in the telecom sector. And there were lots of various operators and companies and vendors show, showcasing some of the use cases. I think the ones that I feel also have more of a commercial legs to it is one of them is around the VR and the AR application. So you could actually wear a VR and it's almost as if you're in a stadium, you can look around you and you can even choose where you want to sit in the stadium. Uh, and I've seen actually, I've tested it myself. Uh, again, VR on gaming, uh, that seems very uh, viable and real use case. 
Now, these technologies, by the way, VR is not a 5G technology, but the reason it becomes enabled by 5G is VRs today are expensive by nature. To get a high-quality VR headset is expensive. It's mainly because all the sophistication and the complexity needs to go into the device itself. With 5G, you can afford to have more stuff in the cloud or in the edge, which means you can actually have a cheaper VR that increases uptake. So that's, I think, is, is one of the use cases that, personally, I think, within the coming two to three years, we can start it start seeing it taking off. Could we stop and do a spot of jargon busting for a moment? Because to me, the edge is an Irish guitarist <laughs> and may well be to a number of our listeners. What does the edge mean when we're talking about 5G? Sure. So any, any network comprised of a core network, which is like the brain of the network, there is the axis, which is the lower layer, which is used to reach the customers. The edge is somewhere in between. It's almost like an aggregation layer. And the idea here is if today in the cloud world where the, the, the data center that's used to service and hold the customer data is miles and 110 kilometers away in some cases, that means if you're looking for a real-time experience, the physics, the, the, the time it takes for the signals and the data to go and come is actually is long. So the idea now is let's push some of the data center and the storage capability closer to the axis, which in this case would be in this layer edge. And we're sitting maybe, you know, within hundreds of meters away from it. And then you get a better experience as a result. Think of it like online shopping. You will get the product that you order online more quickly if it is located closer to you. And that's why people who do who online retailers have distribution centers spread as close as, 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 as far apart as possible and as closely to their customers as possible. It's exactly the same with data. You want to be able to get it from as close as possible to you. So it's exactly the same principle, really. Brilliant, thank you. And Howard, are there any really electrifying use cases that you can think of, of the kind that you know, are gonna save humanity? I suppose to just <laughs> deliver faster and, and, and cheaper products. Um, yeah, I mean, there's a few ways that we look at it. And, uh, you know, fun and functional, making people's lives better and easier, but definitely more fun. So I don't think necessarily we have to aspire to save humanity, although it probably does need doing. Um, but certainly, I think, I think to Curtis's point about uh, virtual reality, mixed reality, I think people are going to be able to do a lot more things on the go that are incredibly fun. And the, over, the digital overlay over our real world will present some amazing opportunities for fun and for function in the sense of things like information serving, travel, making that, making that part of your life easier. And that's fantastic. What's the, what's the sort of the bigger ones that people get excited about? I think, um, I think for healthcare, the direction of travel for healthcare is to, is to limit the um, real face-to-face -face interactions that, that, that patients have with healthcare experts, and that's to drive down costs. So the more that people can do to remotely monitor their patients, I think that's, that's a huge uh, driver of efficiency for healthcare, and I think 5G will be a key part of that. What's the sort of cutting edge of that healthcare side of things is probably remote robotic surgery. That's the sort of... That's the thing that we're all aspiring to be able to deliver as a real benefit. Um, and that's potentially very real. Some, some, think some, some trials on that have already happened. Um, it's not perhaps what some people thought it might be in the sense of the surgeon can be based anywhere, the patient anywhere. Uh, we mentioned physics earlier. That the, the, the physics deny that being possible. The latency, the lag between what the surgeon does and what the robot does would be far too great. But if the surgeon and the patient are in the same room, and, but the robot is completely wireless. If you've removed wires from that environment and you have a near real-time, zero-latency environment with high bandwidth and in a highly secure network, 
then what you have is the ability to have the most precise level of surgery, but in it, with no wires, removing some of the risk that is, is related to, to post-surgery infection. Um, that's one of the huge drivers of cost into the health industry, and if you can take that away, improve accuracy, improve the chance of patients recovering quickly after surgery, then that's a, a big driver of, of, of efficiency. So picking up on some of the risks or challenges and also the security aspect of 5G, um, how can we ensure that devices or systems that are connected to 5G are, are actually secure? 5G from a standards perspective is the most secure mobile technology that's been developed. And that makes sense as things, uh, new things are almost always more secure than their predecessors. That's, that is the, the way of things. I think the concern with security in 5G comes not from the fact that there is a security issue with 5G, but from the fact that if you wind forward to the sort of utopia of, of connected things that we're looking at, when you connect everything, clearly, were something to go wrong, there is a greater degree of risk. And I think that's where the security concern comes from, not because there is a legitimate security concern, but the consequences would be far greater. Um, the Internet of Things, connecting anything and everything that we can imagine from a, from a physical infrastructure perspective to make our cities and towns more efficient, then clearly uh, the fact that it's connecting everything heightens people's awareness of, a, of the risk of a security issue. But there isn't a, an inherent reason to be more concerned. I totally agree. I think from my understanding is as far as 5G goes from a technology perspective, it is probably one of the most secure technologies. There's an interesting point about the way in which um, 5G is going to encourage us to share more data, data that hasn't been shared before. Of course, that's data that could be you know, used potentially beneficially, but potentially more nefariously. I mean, marketers want to get that information. What kind of safeguards are being built in to the system? Admitting that the technology itself is neutral and it's kind of what you do with it that makes, makes the difference, but what kind of safeguards are being built into to how 5G is being rolled out, say in the UK, but perhaps other way, in other places? I mean, I'm going to make a start at this. So I think you know, GDPR is one of the, the main things where people always need to give their consents. Companies are not allowed to retain your data or distribute it without the prior consent, all that sort of thing. Uh, I think from a 5G perspective, I, I'm not aware of a specific uh, 5G uh, technology or standardization that try to control that. At the end of the day, 5G is the medium that you use to do and you're able to transport much more. And I think if we talk about you can do broadcasting with 5G, you can do lots of gaming. So you can be, I think the amount of things uploaded to the network will naturally be much higher. But I think it still falls back to the typical data regulation and the c consumer behavior being more a bit data aware of what actually it means uploading their data to the, to the internet. In a way that we're maybe not already. Most of us don't really realize what kind of data we're throwing off, who's storing it, who's analyzing it, how they're exploiting it. So what's going to change under, under 5G? If that basic awareness is, is still remains more or less the same, i.e. very fuzzy. Yeah, I mean, I think data privacy is, a, is rightly quite a hot topic at the moment. And I think the, the direction of travel of regulation is such that there's more attention being paid to ensure that, that people are protected, um, that people are in control of their data as much as possible. That does require an amount of awareness on the part of the consumer, though. When you click accept, you, you should read what you're accepting. Um, but ultimately, Mo let's take let's go back to healthcare by sharing the data let's say if you're if you're wearing some sort of 
monitoring service, some sort of watch type monitoring service that's monitoring heart rate and any other of the many things that it can now, can now monitor. By sharing that data, you're actually giving yourself the best possible chance of a healthcare expert recognizing a potential future problem. So that's a, an extremely positive application of all of that new data sharing that's happening. And I think we probably need to start thinking a little bit more about the positive applications of that rather than the mistrust. Now, I'm not saying there isn't rightly a place for, for that mistrust because some companies in the past have misused company customers' data, but the regulation is now such that that's extremely hard to do. The, the, the individual is more in control than ever before. And actually, we should be seeking out the positive examples, I think. So if we were to do a little bit of crystal ball gazing, which I know is always difficult, um, Howard, what comes next? So where do we think 5G will be in 10 years' time, for example? 10 years' time. 10 years' time, um, you are somewhere near ubiquitous 5G coverage across the UK, uh, likely from all four operators, given the uh, the ambitious nature of the UK mobile industry at the moment, given the high degree of competition. Um, I think you are looking at a society that is connected more than ever. I think you are, from a from a day-to-day -day customer experience perspective, you're looking at an environment in which you are either connected or choosing not to be. And they're the two states of connectivity for you. You're either connected and getting an experience that is seamless and almost invisible to you. You just get whatever it is that you want and need, or you are electing to disconnect because that, that's the right thing to do for you, for your family. And I think that's gonna become an increasingly important topic for people when they're permanently connected they're going to be choosing not to be. Um, I think uh, we'll see the, word, the buzzword is transformation. I think we will legitimately see transformation of businesses and services. Um, the ability to work anywhere, the ability to um, transmit huge amounts of data, therefore an enormous amount of level of detail of data in near real time will create entirely new ways of working, ways of functioning. Manufacturing will be revolutionized. Uh, and that can only be good for the UK. We need uh, to have a more efficient manufacturing uh, environment. And I think that's a huge positive that can, that can come from this. Um, so yeah, I think it's that idea of, of always being connected and it, it, in time that will become something that people simply take for granted. They are just connected, they can have what they want. The engineers d d defining the standards of 5G aspired to, to this, this thing they call the perception of infinite capacity. So from a customer perspective, I can always have what I need, regardless of, of what it is that I'm trying to do. And that, I think, is the sort of the 10-year vision. Sounds brilliant. Um, and Kirillos, um, what do you think? Do you think in 10 years' time, we'll be talking about 6G? Uh, I mean, I can't even sort of think what 6, 6G would be, but I think um, if I sort of think about 6G, I think there is one of the things that's happening now already. There are talk about LEU, which is the low orbit satellites, and I think there are almost three or four announcements by very big corporates and businesses saying they're already starting or will be launching those LEO satellites. And the idea here is to get that to that continuity of coverage anywhere in the world. So yes, 5G will give you this amazing experience within a country or as long as you have the coverage. But if you actually really want to get a global experience everywhere, anywhere, on the plane, in the sea, anywhere, I think... Uh, satellite might be a very interesting thing. So I think a 6G network in my mind would probably have, almost becomes, encompasses the cellular, the fixed networks, but also the satellite networks. 
to give that sort of end-to-end experience. Uh, the one thing I would say in, in 10 years, while I really hope we start seeing uh, you know, more VR, AR, more uh, autonomous cars, drones flying everywhere, I feel while the technology will certainly enable us to get to that point, maybe even before that, I feel it's more of the customer concerns, the security concerns. Do I really want to be in a car where, where I have no control or I'm f- walking in the street and there are drones all around me? You know, I really hope there will be a real revolution, but I feel it's probably going to take maybe more than 10 years to get this into almost the science fiction future. So it's almost the technology needs to have that educational aspect as well. So that consumers and the general public appreciate the benefits and also understand how it's being controlled and managed in a safe and secure way. Absolutely, they need to have trust. Yeah. We're moving to a, uh, towards a tipping point where people will do more online than they do in real life. You think about banking, healthcare, as we've talked about, you think about travel, you think about work. We're going to be doing more things online than, than in real life and that's going to create anxiety, naturally. Um, and as, as, you, as more and more things are pushed to a digital experience, that is going to create an increasing amount of anxiety and that's going to require um, education, awareness and, and I think trust. And I think that's going to be a, a really key uh, enabler of these exciting new services. It's very interesting to think about the long-term cultural impact. You talked a little bit about you know, the advent of, of you know, proper mixed reality, augmented reality experiences. You talked also about actually people who would choose to be, remain connected impermanence or people who choose to disconnect as well. What's going to be interesting is possibly to see actually the divergent perceptions of reality that people have. You know, if I'm, if I'm constantly connected to this glittering mixed reality world, why on earth am I going to want to step out of it into something which is altogether more mundane and, and depressing? Yes, poten- potentially. Um, yeah, I think you, you can present a future to people that it is hugely appealing and exciting. And you, as long as we keep focused on using the technology to make people's lives better and easier, then I, I think you can do great things. But I, don't, I think we should never underestimate the importance of genuine face-to-face interpersonal relations and making sure that you stay connected to the, the, the people around you and not a digital version of those people. But again, let's look, at the, let's look at the huge positives, being able to stay, to build an increasingly deep connection with people who are on, for, for various reasons, on the other side of the world, perhaps. If you're away from family, being able to have a quality of experience connecting with that with, those, with members of family that's greater than you've ever had digitally before, not just because of video calling, but maybe um, maybe use of haptic technologies to actually have some sense of touch with family that you've missed because you've been away with work for three months. That could be it could be that could create an amazing experience, and it's digital and it feels scary now, and you would never take it over being in the room with your family, but actually. If we can use technology to make people's lives better in that sense, then that's a fantastic thing. So I think we've been brutally cut short by time. Um, But if people wanted to read a bit further on the subject of 5G and what comes next, where do you think they should go? Howard, I'll start with you. Uh, Science fiction. Go and read read anything by Philip K. Dick. Um, Recommendation. You know, we... Vastly, as, as Bill Gates said, we vastly overestimate what we can achieve in a year and we underestimate what we can achieve in 10. Uh, the level of change and, and the pace of change will be enormous over the, over the next 10 years. And I think uh, science fiction often points the way. Yeah. Yes. I think for, in terms of information, I think depending on what's your interest, whether it's technical or commercial, mm-hmm. etc., there are lots of, you know, if you want to read into engineering and standards, you know, the ITU, the 3GPP, these are the places, GSMA, these are the places to read about 5G. 
from our perspective as a firm, you know, we put a point of view called making 5G pay, and it's more about how do you monetize and how do you increase the adoption of 5G. So I think subsequently, you know, at the end of the day, it's important to answer where is the money or the investments going to come from. So making 5G pay, which is available on PwC's website. And whilst it's not a work of science fiction, I'm sure it's nonetheless extremely interesting. And a much more sensible answer. <laughs> um, well, Howard and Kirillos, thank you very much indeed for joining us today on this episode of the podcast. Listeners, we hope that you enjoyed it too. And please make sure to subscribe and join us for the next episode. Um, if you want to find out a bit more, then I'm on Twitter and my um, handle is at LouTagTech and Hugo is at HugoWarner1. Howard, if, uh, what's your social media presence? Uh, limited, uh, but uh, I'm, on, I'm on Twitter, Howard underscore Jones. Brilliant, thank you.